COVID-19 is a social situation, but the economic impacts are huge. So everything is integrated. To be sustainable, it's that integration and that balance. We never expected this. I think for me, success and failure comes down to how well we manage what we are up against and then how do we adapt to what we've already created so that our future generations are able to have the quality of life that we have today. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Gold Coast Global Shapers podcast. Good morning and good evening wherever in the world you're tuning in. Uh, We are a few episodes into our podcast series now and I can see we actually have listeners from over 10 different countries. So if you're listening from overseas, jump onto our Instagram and let us know where you're listening from at Global Shapers Gold Coast. So I'm Michelle, your podcast host, and today we're going through a very important topic and that's the United Nations 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. And to go through those goals today, uh, we have Delwyn Langdon, who's a sustainability engagement expert uh, in southeast Queensland. Hi, Delwyn. Hi, Michelle, and um, thanks for having me on. I'm, I've been very excited about um, having a chat to you. As as you know, the SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals are my passion. Great. Well, we're looking forward to to having you. Um, Now, I know I was blissfully ignorant about the Sustainable Development Goals before I joined the Global Shapers community and met you as one of our hub mentors, and you really shocked me into learning how significant these goals are globally, um, but also how every single one of us has an obligation to understand and embody them in our everyday lives. So they're driving corporate and government responsibility, but also leading conversations at the community level um, to answer the call towards those goals. So... Um, yeah, I hope that our listeners can sort of get that same revelation that I did. You're not alone. <laughs> Don't think that um, you're one um, that one of the only people that haven't heard about the SDGs. I actually get quite surprised, even from a high executive corporate level, of who hasn't heard of the SDGs. So it just points out to me that we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, definitely. And... Actually, I think um, I might mention it too. Thank you for being so flexible and recording this podcast virtually um, in light of the current crisis the world is in amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, we're not letting social distancing stop us from connecting online. Uh, We've been uh, very flexible. But without further ado, let's get into it. So, Delwyn, could you please tell us what are the SDGs? What is it about? Well, the Sustainable Development Goals, are, or SDGs as we call it, are a set of 17 goals that are essentially a blueprint for us to drive as a global community for a better and more sustainable future. They are not new. So the SDGs are part of what they call the United Nations Agenda 2030, 2030 being the year 2030. They were developed and passed by the United Nations General Assembly with 193 member countries on the 15th of September in 2015. So they developed these goals to look at a way that we as a global community can come together with a bit of a roadmap or blueprint or framework, however you want to position it, to help us all get on the same page basically and to, to get to the point where we are all in the same direction, working for the same goals and working for the future of our, of our um, generations in time to come. Wow. It's a, it's a lofty goal, I think. Um, 
so what got you involved personally into the SDGs before we dive into more about the SDGs? Maybe you can give us a background to yourself and what your tie-in is with them. Well, I suppose, well, it comes down to my job, really. Um, and I've had a very interesting um, journey myself to get where I am. Um, so I'm nearly 57, but my background actually is in fine arts and hospitality, go figure. Through my time after high school, I studied fine arts, I studied hospitality, event management, um, all through the years, eventually landing at Griffith University as a project officer. Uh, in 2001, I got given the opportunity to manage the newly built um, Eco Centre, and 18 years down the track, I'm still there. <laughs> so the Griffith University Eco Centre is a community engagement centre. And what we do is um, engage with the community, both internal and external, and um, to promote sustainable development, community education, and sustainable practices and initiatives, and to connect people together. So for me, the sustainable development jobs goal, sorry, was part of my job in a sense. So, um, but I've become very passionate about them. Yeah, I think that's that's great to hear that, you know, you started off in arts and hospitality, but it doesn't really matter, you know, what you studied, it matters what you make of it. So it sounds like you were always about connecting people um, and about, yeah. you know, pursuing your passion. So good thing you did. So the rest of us can benefit from it now. <laughs> yes. I think one point to really touch base on is the fact that in the earlier years, I had no idea what sustainability meant. Obviously, I didn't come from that background. So when I was given the honour to be able to manage and develop the Ecocetta, and it is an amazing facility, I had to go out and find champions, mentors within different parts of industry, like so cross-sectorial. I had to find someone that was in business, find someone that was in the community, find someone that was in government. In the early 2000s, that was a little bit difficult. There wasn't many people around, but sustainability was starting to get a little bit more, um, a little bit more, I suppose, noticeable, more awareness. So I was able to learn from these people. I was able to engage with these people. And in the end, um, as time went on, I actually became a mentor. So the role reversed. And the, the whole circle comes around. That's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I mentioned before, but you are one of our uh, mentors as well, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But maybe if you could uh, give us more of a background into the SDGs. Uh, you mentioned before the history that they've had similar goals before. You know, they've tried to tackle this before, but it hasn't worked. Why is this time different? Well, originally... The United Nations, and we're going back even as far as around 1972. But when I really started to notice, it was about 1992 when we had the Earth Summit at Rio de Janeiro. And that was all about sustainability or sustainable development in the undeveloped world or the developing world, so the, the third countries, several countries, that were looking at the impacts on their livelihoods on their ability to have access to clean water, sanitation, education. So in a way, the United Nations playing their role, we're focusing on the 
developing countries. Then I think most people have heard of the Millennium Goals. Well, not most people, but a lot of people have heard the Millennium Goals. They were eight goals in the year 2000 that were going to once again highlight the need for access to clean water, energy, sanitation, education for those countries that are still developing. But as time went on, and time is a very important factor in this because we are running out, we realised that we're all in this together and that we needed a suite of goals or a, or a framework um, to be able to encompass the full our um, community of, of our planet, planet Earth. So it means that our our developed countries and our undeveloping and our developing countries are all part of this together. I think the reason why there's a sense of urgency is because we are running out of time. We know that. So time is actually not our friend in this respect. So we needed a robust framework that everybody could work to and that no one was left behind. And that was a key message from the United Nations. No one gets left behind. I think that's really important that you mentioned that, that the first time the goals, like goals like this were created is that they focus on bringing up developing countries so they could be sort of to our standard, I guess, so to speak. But it really is all of us all together. And it, you really understand that what we do in our country actually affects downstream so many other people and communities around the world. And I think, well, I think that's why these goals, I guess, are better placed to be successful. Uh, would you agree? You think this time it's going to be different? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it has to be, for one thing. Um, they have to be different. We need to have a collective agenda where we can all work to. We need to be able to identify what, what areas we need to concentrate on, and we need to be able to look at ways to measure our success. So the Sustainable Development Goals also come with a suite of targets, and underpinning that are a suite of indicators. So they're like they're guidelines to be able, under each goal to be able to assist organisations and local communities to understand where they fit in and where, where that goal is appropriate. So let's talk about that a little bit more specifically. So when we spoke um, at the Global Shapers meeting when we first met you, you sort of changed the way, like, and you taught us about the goals and how many there are and um, what they are. Um, but that sort of trickled back into my work and my friends and my family. And I went home and I Googled, you know, I worked for Telstra and I said, what's Telstra doing for the sustainable development goals? And found out, you know, what the company had committed to um, and then sort of tried to set my own goals, like which ones I think resonated most with me. Um, so how can I or you or our listeners contribute to the sustainable development goals, find out more about them and, and sort of bring them to their everyday life? Great question. Excellent question. And <laughs> and not a very easy one to actually um, to, to answer in a sense because you're looking at organisations probably a lot easier to be able to look at how they can embed the sustainable development goals within their organisation strategic planning their corporate um, responsibility plans because they have strategic plans. They have directions that they are driving their business with and, and to. So, but as an individual, it really comes down to, I think, your the way that you live your life. 
And there are certain goals, like number 12 being production and consumption, which comes down to waste. So you can keep doing the things that you are already doing, which is your waste reduction, your energy efficiency, your water reduction. They all fall under the sustainable development goals, whether you actually really realise that you're doing it or not. But to myself, I believe that it needs to be driven from high-level governments down through corporations and then down to, and down to the local level. Mm. How, how many goals are there, actually? 17. 17. And um, you mentioned yep. number 12 about consumption. Um, do you have yes. a particular goal or maybe uh, of the goals that you sort of try and implement most, like top of mind for you? Number 17 would be partnerships. I My one being that um, obviously as a community in my working capacity, one as a community engagement leader, I love being able to connect people together. That's what I've done, link people together and get that conversation going, working on common projects, brainstorming. So for me, number 17, the partnerships goal is really, really important. I still also think that partnerships in a left of centre way, even with your own personal life, with your friends and your family, that creates those networks as well. They're all partnerships in a sense. I also have a passion for climate action. I've been very fortunate to be... 13, okay. So that's a passionate one of mine. Um, I've been fortunate to be part of Al Gore's Climate Reality Project leadership team since 2007. So I've always been one to advocate and push the agenda for climate action. And um, another one would be quality education, obviously, which is number four. So I'm, I'm an educator. <laughs> so it, it, it's a natural fit for me. I love that um, we can all sort of look at the goals and you can see something like education and you can think, oh, well, I'm educated. I don't need to think about that goal. But it's not, you know, very, it's not, you know, one one size fits all. Each goal encompasses lots of different things. So, you know, countries like Australia, yeah. we still struggle with, you know, poverty and, you know, education mm. and gender equality. It's not just for the developed countries. Yeah. And if we set really good standards, um, then, you know, we can start helping um, other communities as well. I think that's a really great point, and I think people don't really understand that thirteen percent, thirteen percent of Australians live in poverty. Wow. So when we look at, and, and when we look at the goals, another good point is you can look at them and you can think, oh, we're not in poverty. You know, that you associate them with countries more like Bangladesh, mm. but you really do have to look at in in your own backyard and understand we do actually have poverty. It might be a little bit different in terms of the amount of people that live in poverty or the type of conditions that they're living in, but we do have poverty. Gender equality, which is number five, you know, we have two different, I suppose, approaches. One would be gender equality in a in a Middle East country is very different to gender equality in a Western country, but gender equality for us in, in our Western world, if you want to call it that, can be like, women not being paid the same amount as men mm. in the same job. So you have to look at um, not at not at the goals in black and white. You've got to delve deeper and actually see how they resonate and 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 apply to our, you know, who we are. 
Yes, think global, act local, right? <laughs> and Dylan, you said that you've had a lot to do with Griffith Uni throughout your you know, personal professional life. Um, you're a mm -hmm. Southeast Queenslander then for now, I guess. Um, which of the sustainable development goals do you think that Southeast Queensland, like the Brisbane Gold Coast and our broader community is doing well and which ones do we need to work on the most? I think that there's a lot of work to be done. I know that the Advanced Queensland strategy for the Queensland Government are mapping the sustainable goals against that. I think that councils, local councils, have a lot more work to do and I realise that because I work closely with a networking group of environmental educators from nine of the local councils in southeast Queensland. And I'm in the process of actually doing a suite of small workshops for them to actually get a grasp of what the goals are. So I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done at a government level, both state and local. Organisations are doing the best work from what I can see. There are a lot of conferences, there are a lot of events happening about localising SDGs, but it needs to actually also be come from a policy direction as well through our governance system. It's a very big call. I want to actually talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but yes. do you think any of the 17 goals specifically would resonate with South East Queensland as opposed to other parts of the world? I think all of them. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> they all they all actually relate in some some way. Obviously, you know the Gold Coast and Southeast Queensland are predominantly coastal areas. So mm -hmm. you know the impacts of of our of us on in our waterways and that are very important. So life in the water applies. That might not apply just as much in the middle of Queensland, or it'll just apply differently. All the goals have a purpose and all the goals have a relevance to, um, particularly to a regional geographic area, opposed to an organisation which has business and services. So in terms of our region, they all apply. And that's actually a good point. And I think it's something that, you know, I want to encourage everyone to do is go and look up like just Google sustainable development goals or whatever search engine you use, and I've just pulled up the 17 here. Um, how do we go about mapping them to our, you know, personal lives? I know you, we've spoken before about the SDGs game, and I know you've had a, an amazing trip to Japan recently. Luckily, you made it before all the borders across the world closed, but maybe, Dylan, you can tell us a bit about the SDGs game and uh, what you learned in Japan. One of the concerns that I have had over the time that I've been engaging with the community, whether it be through organisations or through our local community, I've given both community forums on the SDGs. I call them SDGs 101, they're keeping it simple. But I've also been involved in mapping SDGs to organisations' business operations. The one thing that has concerned me is the gap between being aware of them and even applying them in terms of identifying what SDG is relevant to a certain business activity, task or situation, to actually understanding how they are applied. How do they work in a real-life, real-time situation? And I started thinking about that disconnect and couldn't come up with anything. And then I was, just by chance, I was asked to 
to come in and help um, Rabina State High with the marketing of the STG game. They had brought the Japanese um, company over that developed and owns and facilitates this game. And I was fortunate enough to be able to see it happen in person. And it was like a light bulb moment. It was like, ding, that's what, what I was looking for. So I got so excited and that I jumped up and down because it really was not the answer to all our prayers, but the missing link in terms of as far as I was concerned in that transition from awareness to application, understanding how they applied. So the STG game, it's a card game, which which I love because it means it takes people off technology. Yeah, and that's fun. <laughs> so the game is a... It's a multiplayer, it's in-person, card-based game, and it simulates taking the real world in the year 2030 into using the Sustainable Development Goals. So the game was designed in 2016 by a Japanese company called Imakabalabo, and it really essentially came down to two gentlemen. One was a professional gamer, game developer, and the other one was a business and environmental um, manager. And they had the... Epiphany, I suppose, where they realised there was this disconnect as well. So they developed this game where it, with a group of people, you became, you become, in that instance, the world. And through the game and the process of the game, you utilise projects to be able to create a sustainable and balanced future and world. So I'm not going to get too much into it because... Listeners can actually Google the STG game. Mm-hmm. So just just put 2030 STG game into your browser and they'll come up and they can read all about it. But for me, it was a chance to see people come together under a structured format and understand through real-life projects in a real-life simulation situation how the STGs play an important part and also what their purpose is. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's, it sounds like it's a lot about balance. And when you've spoken about the game before, it made me think, you know, you can't just focus on one of the goals. If the goal is economy, you can't just sacrifice everything else to, you know, boost your economy. And if you're thinking about, you know, life on water, number 14, you can't just throw everything else away. It's all about balance. And I really like how you described it. It's closing the gap between awareness and application. And, um, I mean... I'm a technologist at heart, so I love that you said, you know, it's a card game to get us away from technology because I think the point of technology is to make us so efficient that we can spend as little time on the computer as possible and as much time offline. And I think another point I'll um, touch on as well is you said it was co-developed with a games designer. So it goes back to that point at the start where you said, oh, you know, I studied, you know, I was in hospitality and arts, but Really, when you look back on it, you can probably see how that was very important. And I, I see a lot more these days, more like random seeming skills like games design can actually be utilised to create something beautiful and something amazing that wouldn't have been possible um, without a, a, you know, techie guy or girl. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the way that they've done it um, from the the identification of projects that you'd find in the real world and just taking that point that you said, which was very, very um, insightful, um, the, the three areas they manage within the game in terms of way that we 
in the game decide whether or not we're actually going to have a sustainable future or not. In other mm. words, whether you have success or failure is through the economy, the environment and the social. So the, uh, the idea is to be able to have a balance of all three. Within the game, you are implementing projects, you're achieving projects, and once those projects are achieved, they actually change the metrics on the on the um, what we call the world condition meter. So you can actually see how it changes, and then you have to make decisions. You can know, for example, you can say, "Oh my God, as you said, my con- the economy is booming, but our environment and social welfare are in crisis. What do we need to do?" And that brings people back to that point of working together as a community within that room to to create a better outcome so is there like what does success look like and what does failure look like in terms of if we achieve the sustainable development goals or not whether in the game or in real life very good question very hard question to answer yeah (laughs) i suppose for me it's about having us manage our impacts, whether it be our economic viability. And we're also, as you can appreciate with the COVID-19, we're all, you know, there's this economic crisis we're also going through. COVID-19 is a social situation. Yeah. But the, but the economic impacts are huge. So everything is integrated and you know, to be sustainable, it's that integration and that balance. So in our situation here, we never expected this. I think what we need to, and then obviously with the environment, we're coming against, you know, impacts of climate change, habitat degradation, the bushfires, you know, we're in interesting times. So I think for me, success and failure comes down to how well we manage what we are up against how we mitigate um, by, for example, going transitioning to clean energy future. So mitigating our impacts through, you know, the reduction of carbon, mitigating our impacts in terms of our waste management. And then how do we adapt to what we've already created so that our future generations are able to have the quality of life that we have today, be it interesting times we live in yeah it's unprecedented times and you said no one could have predicted this but i've seen half a dozen movies that that predicted this <laughs> i know i was saying that i just got excited then sorry <laughs> i was saying that to my partner and we were watching um one of them last night and saying who would think that we would be actually really living this you know mm-hmm. we, we just did the hollywood movies or um, you know, Outbreak and all those other, you know, type of movies and just being exactly that fiction. But it's not. It's not. You know, it's so I, think yeah. we're, I think we're also, you know, as much as we are going through very trying times, we also have to look at what can we take from this? Mm. What can we take from this? What can we learn from this? And it's not just about our health and well-being, but it's all about... The impacts of self-isolation have also had a ripple effect to the impacts of our environment, on our environment. You know, we're seeing where pollution is being reduced because people are not out and, you know, out in their cars or they're doing this and doing that. So 
we're not saying that you have to stop everything once we get back on track, but maybe we can actually learn from this and be a little bit more adaptive to the positives that came out of it, yeah. which is, and I think, what deals the environment. Yeah, and we can sort of see, like, the things that we're missing out on now, you know, we can sort of tell what we're actually missing and what, you know, we haven't really noticed that sort of dropped out of our lives, like what was unnecessary and what thing, modes of consumption that we can actually live fine without. But I've been really, I guess, inspired and, uh, like, motivated by seeing how quickly so many of us have adapted to this change, you know, whether it's the way we do business, whether it's the way we interact, whether it's the way that we reach out to one another. I think we've proven, you know, in the last couple of weeks that the whole world can actually adapt really quickly Um you know, it's not perfect, haven't been perfect, but to see such a sweeping change, I'm like, cool, now we can, like, do sorts of all sorts of changes now. We can reach these SDGs if we just treat them the same as, you know, coronavirus crisis. Exactly. I mean, my parents, they experienced very quickly they had to adapt with World War II, ration shortening and things. So we know that we can do it. We just didn't have anything in our time currently that was going to force us in a position like our parents and grandparents did, to be able to adapt to a trying and very difficult, you know, global situation. We used to say, you know, we've done it before, we did it in World War II, why can't we do it now in terms of working towards more positive climate action? Because you've got spoiled millennials like us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not just actually, no, no, it's not actually. I am so impressed with our young folk. I really, really am. If we can just maintain our our environment and our social um, welfare and economic viability long enough that you amazing young people can get up in those positions of decision-making, we're going to make it. (laughs) Yeah. I see the movement happening really quickly. It's a bright future. Thank you. Thank you, Darwin. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty pretty devo that, oh, devastated for those international um, callers. That's Australian slang, devo. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Devo, that your SDG game uh, for the localization of the sustainable development goals uh, this month was postponed. Um, But, you know, after the current crisis has sort of been overcome enough that we can start doing in-person events again or even virtual events for that matter, um, are you going to be hosting another one? And maybe you can tell our listeners how they can get involved and look forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to kick them off around the country. So, the idea for me, and I'm very thankful and very appreciative to Griffith University because they were able to fund my trip to Japan, become a certified facilitator. At this stage, there's only uh, three in Australia. I believe that everyone should be able to play it. Um, everyone should play it, whether from schools up to corporations, government, local communities. So my job probably over the next, I'm talking three to four years, is to roll this game out as much as possible. And so, in turn, yes, I was disappointed that we couldn't do the inaugural kickoff, but you can't dwell on what has passed. You've just got to look to the future. And I suppose this time has given me a little bit more space to be able to put together a rollout plan. So I'm taking this time now to talk to corporations, organisations, governments, community members to both create an awareness around the game and then obviously get people to play it. Fantastic. So I think that's a really good, like, positive way to see it in that 
unprecedented circumstances out of your control. You can't do the game when you plan to, but you're going to take that opportunity to plan, prepare and make it better than it was ever going to be. And I think um, in three years time, um, when you're successfully rolled out and played the game with as many people as possible, we're going to have a lot more people who have bridged that gap between awareness of the goals and application of them. Um, so I think it's a really positive thing that, that you're going to be doing, or you are doing indeed. I'm very excited because it's a combination of education, interaction, and so much fun. And how can you lose? Exactly. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed part one of this discussion with Delwyn Langdon about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Look forward to part two coming to you in a few weeks. We'd love to hear from you, so please reach out over Facebook or Instagram or via email and see how we can work together or to answer any of your questions about what you've heard today. Hope you guys are staying happy and healthy as much as possible in the current conditions. I hope you can still continue to thrive and take this opportunity to reflect, plan, and hope you have the opportunity to dive into something that you love, maybe pick up a hobby that you've been neglecting for a while. I know I have friends that have picked back up writing or uh, video editing, songwriting, and uh, for me, it's been diving into this podcast and reading a lot. Um, at the moment, I'm reading Klaus Schwab's Shaping the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So he's the founder of the World Economic Forum and indeed uh, the Global Shapers community. So for me, that's been a really inspiring read and I can definitely recommend it to you. Thank you. I'm Michelle. I'll see you next time.